Squares fielder. He's gone to the dog. Well, good morning, or good evening, I should say. <laughs> this gravelly voice you're hearing uh, coming to you in episode five of the Gone to, Do- to the Dogs podcast is your host, Steve Fielder. And I'm coming to you on the final night, or I should say final morning, of the 2021 PKC World Hunt being held in Salem, Illinois. Now, I'm not in Salem, but I'm doing like a lot of coon hunters across the country are doing tonight, and that's listening and watching online the uh, matchups and the play-by-plays and so forth of the final night of the PKC World Championship. Um, missing sleep on the night of the of the World Hunt is something that's not new to me, whether I was with UKC, PKC, or AKC. Uh, I did that uh, for all the years between 1983 and 2011 when I retired. And for many years at the major events, I'd go uh, back to my room and try to catch some sleep and then uh, set the clock for about one o'clock in the morning, get up, go back out to the fairgrounds, uh, participate in the panel questions or things like that that might be taking uh, place, and also taking the photos of the winners to be posted online. Now, that was at all the major events over the years, but with the World Hunt, uh, it was a bit different. We basically stayed there at the headquarters all night until the final winner was declared. Um, As I'm podcasting tonight, uh, it's going to be in the time frame between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., just to get you the natural feel of things. Now, tomorrow morning, Ella and I are going to head to the mountains for a few days of R&R. We're going to head up to the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Skyline Drive in Virginia and into the Shenandoah National Park, which is, uh, uh, I have been there years ago, but not in recent years. you know, from the shoreline to the mountains, I believe Virginia to be one of the most beautiful states in the Union. Uh, of course, my mother and my brother and his family live there now, and I do get up to western Virginia quite often. But on this trip, we're going to continue up Interstate 81 uh, on up toward the D.C. area, but in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley and the Shenandoah National Park. Uh, this is just a special time for me every year. I, I try to get back to the mountains if I can. Uh, you know, it, it's just standing on one of those mountain overlooks or vistas and uh, seeing all the red and gold and green mixed together in a tapestry is something that I've always enjoyed and look forward to every year. You know, fall has a special feel to it. It has a special smell to it. You know, we like to put on a, a favorite flannel shirt and a sweater, maybe a pair of comfortable jeans and, and some old comfortable boots and sit around the fire and sip cider or maybe something stronger. But all in all, it's just an absolute uh, favorite time of year for me. And, uh, you know, before. Uh, I go any further with this podcast, I want to pause just a minute to say goodbye to a, a gentleman that I have known for many years. I think I first met him uh, when I went to work at UKC in uh, around 1983. Uh, John W. Shelton Jr., John, as he was known to his many friends, age 86 of Fairfield, Illinois passed away uh, on Wednesday afternoon, October 13th of 2021 at Fairfield Memorial Hospital in Fairfield, Illinois. John was born November 29th, 1934 in Posey County, Indiana. And uh, 
I just want to pause and, and say goodbye to an old friend, those of you who have been around the, the coon hunts, and especially the red bone breed. John was a red bone man, I suppose, pretty much all his life. He was an avid coon hunter, uh, and if you were at an event and uh, John saw you, he'd always come over and speak. And also, uh, it's always a sad time to say goodbye to an old friend, but John Shelton, age 86, of Fairfield, Illinois, has passed away. Before we get into the story of this year's world hunt, uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to look back to what I call the glory years, of especially the PKC world hunt. Um, for many years, uh, the, the hunt was held at the Tennis Center at Ken Lake State Park in Aurora, Kentucky. Uh, and so I thought it would be kind of fun to take a little nostalgic trip back to those days. I was with PKC between the years of 1998 and 2004. So there were seven PKC World Hunts that I attended uh, in Aurora each year in October. The first year that I went out there, I stayed just outside the park. Those of you who are familiar with Aurora know that there were several uh, cabins and motels and all uh, in this fishing resort there on Kentucky Lake. And uh, the first year I stayed at Ken Oaks, little uh, arrangement of cabins there. They weren't fancy at all. But uh, just on the right before you entered into the park. And my roommate that year uh, was Pete Holt. Many of you remember Pete from North Carolina. He was very active in PKC back in the day. And I think he still makes a few hunts. And when I would move to Raleigh uh, to go to work for AKC in 2004, uh, Pete uh, helped me a great deal with my dogs. He kept a dog or two for me. We coon hunted together, and Pete is, still remains a great friend. And those of you in PKC will certainly remember Pete. Uh, just a terrific judge and, and handler and was very, very devoted to PKC back in those days. Now, working for PKC uh, in those days at Aurora meant that we had 10 straight days of activity. We would start with the Super Stakes Championship, and in the early days of my employment there, it was simply, um, there was only one Super Stakes. There was no spring, there was no fall event. But uh, we'd start off with the Super Stakes on, on uh, probably a Thursday, I believe, go through that weekend, then on Monday, we would go directly into the PKC World Championship, and we'd have four days to qualify dogs, and then we'd go into the Friday night where the, the quarterfinals, then ultimately the uh, semifinals on Saturday night and the finals. And then coinciding with that, on Friday and Saturday nights, we had the PKC Youth World Championship. So it was a very, very busy time in Aurora. But anyone that ever went there will certainly remember the atmosphere. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they fondly look back at the days at, at Aurora because there simply never was anything quite like Aurora at World Championship time. Um, if... Uh, you want to look at the tennis center itself. Okay. We go into uh, Ken Lake State Park, and as we drive through the entrance, uh, back to our left at the crest of a hill overlooking uh, Kentucky Lake, uh, uh, we're going to see the tennis center. Now, as you walk into this building from the south end, uh, what you're going to see is a large clay court tennis area with all the netting taken down, pressed wood, uh, four by eight sheets like plywood, 
laid on the floor so that the floor is a solid wood floor. And uh, on top of that, there have been row after row after row of picnic tables with benches attached, uh, running left to right across the entire building until you uh, got up to the far end of the building where the stage uh, was set. Now there were rows to walk in between these tables. And when you walked in there, you were going to be greeted by a roar of conversation going on. I don't care if it was 3 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There was a steady uh, in and out go of people uh, there at the tennis center. As you walked in, beginning to your immediate right, you'd start to see vendor booths, and they would go to the corner and then continue up toward the front of the building on the right-hand side. And you could find virtually any kind of hunting supply that you can imagine. They are all the vendors that you would normally see at a major event, such as Autumn Oaks or whatever, uh, Grand American, were there in the tennis center at the back to the right and up the right-hand side. Um, if you went up the left-hand side, on the immediate left, you'd find a, a a group of guys that were always sitting there talking. And I always remember one of those as being Ronnie Bone's dad, who has since passed away. Ronnie Bone was very active in PKC hunts, and I'm sure he still hunts some. But his dad was one of the guys that I vividly recall sitting in that group of guys there on the left. Then you had the kitchen area up the left side where you could go and and uh, they didn't serve plate lunches, but you could get uh, coffee and desserts and, oh, I guess maybe some sandwiches or whatever. And continuing on up the left side, uh, I remember the Joy Dog Food booth being there. Uh, you know, and uh, just uh, always enjoyed visiting with Chip and Mike and and the guys with Joy Dog Food that would be there. And then the little table area there where Basil Kittrell, or Cattell, I believe his name, I'm messing up Basil's name, and I hate to do that because he was such a guy. Eddie Simmons, forgive me, buddy for messing up, messing up Basil's name. <laughs> you can tell it's late at night here. I'm stuttering. But at any rate, Basil would have his light uh, displayed there, and he would work on lights, and he was continually uh, working on somebody's light. It was a cluttered deal. It was organized chaos, but Basil was always such a great guy. And uh, that's usually along there where you would also run into guys like J.C. Ellis who like to sit over there around Basil's area and, uh, and uh, you know, just uh, shoot the bull during the world hunt. Um, <laughs> there was always at night, you know, uh, a well, I, I forgot to mention that to the back left of the room to the to the left of the stage was the PKC headquarters area. And the routine was you pass through a line to uh, get your reservation, get your entry uh, card, and then you would uh, pay any, uh, or no, you wouldn't pay at that point, but you would pick up your card and then you would go to the PKC desk. They would check you in take your entry fee or perhaps give you a refund if you, you were hunting on a free entry that night. And then you would pass down the line, pick up your hat or any merchandise that they had for you. And then you would draw your cast down at the end of that line, moving toward the stage was a big box where the hunters would uh, reach in and draw out a cast number. Uh, then, as I mentioned, what, there was the stage, and it was a large stage, elevated, had a podium there, and that's where uh, we would call the cast. And Through the week, there'd be um, music entertainment, and one of the favorite things at Aurora was always the exceptional children. These were 
people with low learning disabilities from the uh, local area there uh, that would come out and put on a performance one night at the World Hunt while the cats were out. And that was always a favorite uh, pastime for those that perhaps were there and not actually hunting a dog. Another thing that you would see late at night in the tennis center were the card games. Guys were always playing cards in the tennis center. And I know at one time, uh, Larry Meeks, who was my boss and owner of PKC at that time, uh, moved those games down to a separate building down by the lake. We called it the casino. (laughs) Outside the tennis center, there was a large array of food booths and such. And it seemed like that someone was always a a bit disgruntled because they didn't get the space they wanted or somebody else was underselling them or whatever. And Larry called them the weenie wars. I always thought that was funny. But uh, sometimes he would have to go out and arbitrate those those disagreements uh, between the the food vendors. Now, one of the reasons I was hired to go to PKC was to begin a bench show program, which they had not had up to that point. I think early on, when Jarvis Humphreys founded the organization, there were bench shows. But it had been many years uh, since that had been the case. So one of my jobs was to put, put together a bench show program in which cash awards would be presented. And that was something totally new to bench shows up to that point. I can remember uh, the first, at least the first couple of years, those shows were held on a concrete uh, area down by the lake behind the tennis center. One of the most beautiful settings for a bench show I've ever seen. And with my good friend Lee Kearns helping me set up the shows and doing a lot of the logistic work and all, we put on some really nice shows there at on the shores of Kentucky Lake and the fall colors. We always had lots of flower, fall flowers and, and the benches were all decorated and all. It was a first class deal. I'm, I'm very proud of those years with the bench show. Now, anybody that went to Aurora during those days will remember the restaurants. As you come down through the main drag there of Aurora, um, you're going to see on your right there, there was a restaurant called the Willow Pond. This was a catfish restaurant. And the specialty was when you, no matter what you ordered in there, you got a bowl of white beans and hush puppies. And man, were those things good. So we ate, you know, one or two nights uh, during the week at the Willow Pond. And that's where they had the dinner for the youth hunters at that time. On uh, on the first day of the of the youth world hunt, they would have the dinner there, and they'd usually have a speaker, maybe Mr. Roy Tramble or someone like that would speak to the kids. They would get a lunch, they would get their jackets and hats, and then when I was there, I thought, let's take this another notch. And so as the as the kids left uh, the meal, they were given a number. And they were told to get their dogs and line up at the back door of the tennis center. And uh, that afternoon, on Friday afternoon, we would introduce each one of the kids, read off the total of their earnings, and let them walk in in front of the stage with uh, with their dog. And, of course, the parents were on the front row and, and, all the friends and people gathered around and and flashes were were popping everywhere and uh, we had George Strait on the on the PA system singing dad this may be the best day of my life and we wanted to give special recognition to those kids and it was a great time and i think everybody really enjoyed it um you know but uh, i I neglected to mention when we were talking about restaurants, um, we used to go through the land between the lakes over to Grand Rivers, Kentucky, to uh, a tourist attraction over there called Patty's Settlement. And it was like an 1800s uh, 
settlement over there of uh, little cabins and shops and things to see. But the main attraction was the restaurant. Uh, if you've never been to that part of the country and never had a pork chop at Patty's, you need to put that on your bucket list. Those things were about an inch and a half thick. You could get them smoked or non-smoked. But we'd go over there and have a terrific meal at least once a week while we were in Aurora. As far as places to stay, I mentioned all the cabins that were there. There were mobile homes around, fish camps and things that people would rent out during that time. Uh, Aurora is a very small, sleepy little fishing village, as it would, uh, as you were, for people to come in that wanted to bass fish on Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley uh, in that land between the lakes area. But uh, when I first went there, uh, I stayed, as I said, at Ken Oak uh, Cabins and then moved on to the park and stayed in the park itself. Uh, one or two years in the lodge there and then in the cabins that they have, and that was a favorite place to stay because the cabins were, were nice and they were convenient to the tennis center. And when you're, you know, uh, falling into bed at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, it made it really nice to have your accommodations close to, the, to your job. Now, during those years, I was privileged to uh, participate in the crowning of seven world champions. And uh, I remember in 1998, my first year there, was the year that Mad Marge, an English female that was owned by Todd Fayard and handled uh, by Eddie Simmons. And, of course, Eddie went on to work for PKC for several years after I left there. Uh, in 1999, it was a special year for me being affiliated so many years with the plot breed to uh, see Buckeye Bud, uh, owned and handled by John Walkup, uh, win the PKC World Championship, the first and only time that a plot has won the hunt. Then in the year 2000, it was a cast that I went out on. I remember it uh, uh, vividly. We hunted outside of Benton, Kentucky, which is a town not far from Aurora. It's the county seat of that county. A dog named Patoka Lake Boz won that hunt, a tree and walker male owned and handled by Don Hall. I remember we were hunting in, in just like a soup of mud. It looked like a, a chocolate milkshake we were wading around in most of the night. And there was a famous dog on that cast named Bad Habit that many people will remember. And uh, it got right down to the wire. The dogs did tree together on a den tree in which a coon was seen. But uh, the boss dog did get a coon to himself. Uh, bad habit was at large, and I thought perhaps he would just fall treated any time, but it, it just didn't happen. It wasn't his night, and the boss dog won the uh, 2000 uh, PKC World Hunt. 2001 was uh, kind of a special year for me uh, in what uh, resulted from that hunt. That was the year that Silver Dollar Stone, a tree and walker male owned by Daryl Newton, there of Benton, Kentucky, and handled by Ronnie Smith of Illinois, won the world hunt. And I remember that cast particularly because it got down to the very last tree. Uh, Kevin Turner, who has since passed away, we do miss Kevin, uh, was hunting a dog uh, called Oz. And uh, Oz and Stone were treed on this final tree of the cast together. And it comes down to if a coon is seen on this tree, Oz will win the world championship. If it's circled or minus, I suppose, uh, Stone will be the winner. Well, I've told this story before, but uh, Kevin uh, Roberson was the judge for the cast. Scott Engel was on the cast hunting a female named Bella Ann. She was treated in the distance. Kevin and Scott went to her tree, leaving Ronnie Smith handling Stone and Kevin Turner handling Oz at the tree with me 
and maybe the guide. I'm not sure who else was there. I remember this guy sitting on a log there, and uh, uh, the time just ticked by, and it seemed like forever before uh, uh, Kevin returned uh, to score the tree. And I could imagine uh, the anxiety that these two handlers were feeling because they know that depending on the scoring of this tree, one or the other of them is going to be the world champion. And as it turned out, uh, when Kevin got back, and it was getting cold by that time, I remember being being pretty chilly. And um, the shining time was started, and I don't think there's been a tree in history that's been worked any harder. But the end result was no coon was seen. It was a large leafy oak tree easily circled. Uh, but uh, that was uh, the way that Silver Dollar Stone uh, won the PKC World Hunt. And, you know, later I would hear about Stone being bred to the then all-time money leader, Mill Creek Molly. And, uh, in fact, uh, shortly after the World Hunt, and so I purchased a female puppy out of that cross that I called Stone Stylish Kelly, and I enjoyed her for many, many years. So that that world hunt in particular uh, holds uh, fond memories for me. Then in 2002, uh, Roger Dale Carnegie, who now owns and operates PKC uh, and was an employee of PKC at that time, won the world hunt with a dog called Deep South Pack Rat. It was a tree walker male. Uh, it was, uh, rat was handled by his friend Craig DeChamp, uh, and they won that in 2002. And that was a great time for all the PKC employees to gather around and get into the picture and uh, help celebrate with Roger Dale. Then in 2003, uh, we had another English dog, Mad Marge, uh, my first winner. There was an English female. Well, this was an English male from South Carolina uh, named Stono River Lucky Two, owned by Irvin Commodore, was our uh, world champion that year. And then my last year with PKC, um, November uh, would be the month that I would go to work for AKC in 2004. Uh, but the, we're in October at the World Hunt, the year 2004. That's when Ronnie Nickens, and we all remember Ronnie, uh, What's Up Doc Dog, won the PKC World Hunt. So those are my memories of the dogs that actually won the World Hunts that I was able to participate in. Now, as we look at the world hunt, we need to uh, uh, think about uh, how this hunt actually operates. And uh, as we look at the world hunt, we need to think about what the format is. And it's essentially this. At the beginning of the year, PKC hunters will nominate their dogs. And by that, they mean, I mean that they will pay a fee to PKC. And I think it starts off at $75 at the beginning of the year, and then the longer you wait, the fee goes up. Uh, but you nominate the dog, and then when the dog goes out and begins to earn money in PKC for that year, uh, when he earns $100 after being nominated, it's entitled to one free entry to the world hunt. Now, dogs do have to have $100 won in the current year to qualify, or if they have earned $500 and are PKC champions, they also are qualified to hunt in the world hunt. So at any rate, um, most of the hunters will go out there uh, to Salem on Monday night and spend their free entry. And uh, depending on how their dogs look, you know, they may re-enter. There are four nights that they can re-enter, or actually three that they can re-enter, one night that they, uh, starting with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Those are the four nights. And if you re-enter, then you have to pay an entry fee, 
which is $300 each night. Now, this year, uh, the entry totals were very close to what they were when I was there at PKC. We were really proud of the way PKC uh, had, uh, uh, you know, uh, grown in the years that uh, Larry Meeks had taken over the ownership. Uh, We were common, uh, routinely entering 400 dogs a night. And uh, that's a lot of dogs, 1,600 dogs in, in a week. And then things kind of went into a slump for a few years as people got a little bit away from the hunts. But, you know, uh, Roger Dale, Jerry Mall, and those guys did a terrific job in building this thing back. And I look at the entry totals for this week, and uh, they've been very, very good. Monday night, there were 374 dogs. Tuesday night, now, I'll stop right here and put in a disclaimer. These are from my figures that I took off the Internet. They may not be exact. Anyway, Tuesday night, there were 391 dogs entered. Wednesday night, 410 dogs. Thursday, there were uh, 352. By my count, I had 1,527 dogs entered. I believe I saw something online that said something like 1510 or maybe 1520. But at any rate, I averaged my numbers out to 382 dogs per night. And that's that's a strong, strong showing. And uh, that the kudos go to PKC for putting on such a fine event. Uh, then, of course, uh, what they do, uh, the way you qualifier or move on to Friday night, the quarterfinals, is by winning two casts on a given night. You have to win back-to-back on the same night in order to advance. And that advances a total of this year. There were 96 hounds hunted on Friday night in the quarterfinal round. Uh, So that was 96 dogs or 24 casts hunted early and then there were 24 dogs that hunted in six casts late, and that's uh, those six casts were run head to head, two dogs in each cast to establish the final three. Now the awards for the PKC World Hunt this year uh, were quite good. In fact, there was a total of three hundred and twenty-six thousand dollars awarded two dogs that were successful at the world hunt. The first place win pays $30,000 and second paid 17,000 and third 12,000. The semifinalists, which were uh, three, the three dogs that lost in those uh, head to head uh, casts, those three casts each got $6,500. And then the quarterfinalists, there were 18 of them that got $3,000 each, double cast winners just by virtue of making it to Friday night were paid uh, $1,500 each, and then single cast winners uh, through the four nights of qualifying were each paid $300. So there, once again, uh, heads, uh, uh, shout out, I should say, to PKC. Uh, for those strong awards, and to the hunters themselves who went and re-entered and kept those entry numbers up each night, because that's how uh, the pot, uh, the you know, the purse is uh, is built and and uh, made possible. Okay, so Saturday night, which has been the uh, night, uh, we're now getting into the wee hours of the morning of the PKC World Hunt. Uh, on Saturday night, the semifinal matchup of six dogs consisted of uh, cast one was Money's Rain Dance, um, a tree and walker female owned by Roger Shable and handled by Zach Burden. We'll remember Zach is winning the PKC World Hunt. Uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> Uh, Rain Dance has earned $34,721 in PKC 
and she was sired by uh, platinum champion Big Money and uh, out of Screaming Lady. And uh, Rain's uh, competition in cast number one was Thunderbird's Black Goose, owned by Cole McVeigh and handled by Joe Manning Jr. of Texas, a tree and walker male. Uh, uh, is a 2019 model, and his earnings were $11,762, and he was sired by platinum champion Mojo Mason and out of grand, our gold champion Gelvin's Fat Girl Slim. That was cast number one. Then cast two was Heather Island Marvelous Marv, owned by Ike Rainey from uh, my state of Florida. Handled by well-known handler Dustin Weed. He's a Treen Walker male, a 2017 model. He's earned $30,500 in earnings. He was sired by platinum champion Wipeout Zeb 3. And his dam was High Point Muscle Chick. And then uh, Marv's competition was (laughs) these names. Drink Milk, Eat Oreos. Owned by Stephen Robertson and handled by Michael Markham. A train walker female, 2019 model, has earned $4,737 and was sired by uh, silver champion Stylish Bushwhacker and was uh, out of Kamikaze Forgiven Sin. Then the third cast. Uh, consisted of Trackman's Action Jack, owned by Robertson and Chapman, handled by Casey Dooley. A Treen Walker male uh, has earned $10,364, sired by gold champion Trackman. The dam was Jasper Southern Bell. And the fourth, uh, excuse me, the second dog in the final cast was Jigaboo, where are you? Michael Dominey, owner and handler, a crossbred male, uh, born September uh, of 2018. He's earned $4,167, and his sire was champion Almost Famous Amos, and the dam was Powell's Little Kentucky Lady. So those are the dogs that competed uh, tonight. In the early round, and uh, they're out there right now bumping heads, and uh, hopefully we'll have those winners for you in just a minute that I can report. But uh, while I was watching uh, the play-by-plays of these uh, early round and getting ready to uh, announce the, the dogs that advance on into the final cast, I thought it'd be kind of fun or interesting at this time of year, especially if we could go and uh, uh, look at, you know, what some of the uh, uh, hunting seasons are around the country. This is the time of year that we all look forward to. And that's the time when we can get our dogs out. We can go out there. If we've got a young dog, we want to harvest the coon for him, uh, reward an older dog. Uh, Unfortunately, as we talked about in the episode with Randy Smith uh, the other day, uh, we have, uh, you know, not uh, uh, had much of a fur market for the last few years. But uh, anyway, uh, some guys did enjoy, um, you know, hunting for money, or not money, excuse me, hunting for the furs and the money that they brought. Uh but anyway, I just thought it'd be fun to look at some of the uh, hunting seasons around the country and maybe give you a little reminder of your season come up. In the state of Alabama, there's no uh, closed season. You can hunt raccoons year-round. So you guys in Alabama really don't have much to look forward to. Uh, Arkansas, uh, there's a, a split season here. Well, actually, it's one season, I guess, but uh, it's divided in terms of what, how many coons you can take. From September 1 to November 14th, you can harvest two coons per night. In, uh, then from November 15th through March 31st, there's no limit. 
the state of Georgia, the coon season come, came in on October 15th, goes out February 28th. Indiana, a big coon hunting state, November 8th is the day that it opens and continues through the last day of January. Illinois, November 10th, two days later, and continues a little longer, a couple weeks longer than Illinois or than Indiana at, at uh, January 31st. Um, okay, Iowa comes in November 6th, goes out January 31st. Kansas. November 18th opens, February 15th closes. Kentucky, October 1, just like Michigan, uh, my uh, home state for many years, came in at, uh, on October 1. It continues to February 28th. Louisiana, you can hunt coons year-round in the state of Louisiana, but there's a limit of two coons per night. Michigan, as I mentioned, October 1st to January 31st. Mississippi, uh, it comes in actually on the 1st of July, but the seasons are divided up as to what you can do. Uh, July 1st to September 30th, you can take one coon per party. From October 1st to the last day of October, you can take five per day. Okay, And then November 1st through February 28th is the fur-taking season, or pelts they call it, and you can, uh, I guess, sell the pelts that you harvest there. New York, the state of New York comes in October 15th through February 15th. And then there's a different season from December 15th to February 25th. And that's down in the lower part of the state, more populated areas. North Carolina, October 18th to February 28th. October, uh, excuse me, Ohio, uh, November 10th to January 31st. Pennsylvania, we mentioned this with Randy Smith in the last episode, October 23rd to February 19th. South Carolina, August 15th to May 14th. That's sort of a very liberal season there in South Carolina. Tennessee comes in early. September 17th goes through the last day of February, the 28th. Virginia, the season's October the 15th through March the 10th, there's a difference in the bag limits depending on whether you live east or west of the Blue Ridge Mountains. East of the Blue Ridge, you can take two per hunter, where a coon are more popular, uh, more plentiful over there. West of the Blue Ridge, the mountain areas, two per party. And then West Virginia, my home state, October 16th through uh, February the 28th. Now, I've been uh, posting on social media the fact that I'm behind in answering texts, text messages, and even voicemail phone calls that I've received over the last month. And there have been a ton of them. And I'm trying to go through them all and get everyone answered. But I do appreciate them, everyone. And I, and I hope that you'll understand. and. Uh, and the old boy here will try to get caught up as soon as possible. I do so enjoy hearing from you. And while we're still waiting here to see who the final three are going to be on the world hunt and get into all of that, uh, I wanted to mention just a few of the comments that I've been getting lately in these messages. And I do, as I said, try to get back to each one. I heard from Dylan Ashley, and I tried to see where Dylan is from. I think this may have come in on Instagram, and I'm, I'm not sure where he's from, but he sent this little note. Hey, Steve, I've been commenting with you back and forth. I just wanted to say my five-month-old walker got his first coon tonight. He's got 40 squirrels already, but tonight was his first coon. Thanks for all the tips and info. Couldn't have done it without you. Well, Dylan, I tell you what, five months old, tree and his first coon, that's pretty awesome right there. But I don't know, you might have, you might have to consider there. You, you've got 40 squirrels already with a five-month-old pup. Uh, that's, that's quite an accomplishment, too. You know, squirrel dogs are worth a lot of money these days. But at any rate, thanks for the kind words, uh, Dylan. I always do like to pass along 
things that I know will work or have worked for me. And uh, sometimes they'll work for you and sometimes they won't. Then Thomas Cumberland of Pennsylvania wrote this. Really enjoyed the Randy Smith interview. I lived just 30 minutes from him and have hunted with him a couple of times in competition hunts. He probably doesn't know me from Adam, but he's a nice guy. Yeah, he is, Tom. I agree. I'm still running my dog some, but with a toddler and a 10-month-old boy, I've just been pleasure hunting. I hope to get back to competition hunting with my dog out of bone collector. My goal is to make him a Grand Knight champion before he dies. He's five now and has potential, but just got to get him out into the woods more. He made night champion at a young age. Anyways, have a great day, Steve. Still loving the content you're putting out. Well, Thomas, we appreciate so much the fact that you're liking this uh, podcast. and I am striving to gift you some content out there that you'll enjoy. And we will be back to having guests and all uh, next week. But um, I just really appreciate that uh, support. And to know that uh, you've got a nice young dog there that's making you happy. That makes me happy, too. Then Bill Feltner of Kentucky says, Awesome podcast this gone to the dog's introduction. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed that first episode, Bill. I'm so looking forward to the upcoming shows. Hope you do some on squirrel hunting with dogs. Keep on keeping on, he says. And uh, I thank you, Bill. Uh, sincerely uh, for that uh, encouragement and we will uh, try to delve into those uh, dogs that like to tree those bushy tails and I've got some guys in mind that I'd like to bring on then Jason Snellgrove of Alabama wrote so excited to hear your new podcast glad you're carrying on well we're trying Jason also if you ever want to post a video anywhere you have an open invitation on my YouTube channel as well. Now, I put a note here that Jason is starting a new podcast of his own, and he tells me he has some great interviews lined up, and he he dropped me some names there, and I'm not going to spill the beans, but some of the legends of the sport that he has lined up to talk to. So, Jason, we wish you the best with your new podcast. The more the merrier out here. And uh, thank you so much for uh, checking in. Now, while I've been batting my gums here, uh, PKC has announced that the three early round casts on uh, Saturday night, uh, winners have been declared, and the stage is set for the final of the PKC World Hunt. Now, if you've been following social media, you probably know this already. You're, you're ahead of me because this podcast is not going to air for uh, a few days after uh, it's being recorded. But uh, at any rate, it's my privilege here at 3 o'clock in the morning to announce to you these three dogs that are going into the final of the uh, of the PKC World Championship. Uh, the first is the Jack dog, okay? Jack is an eight-year-old tree and walker male. I said earlier he earned $10,364 in PKC. Uh, he's got a guy named Casey Dooley handling him tonight, and Casey's earned $41,793 in PKC. So uh, Casey is no, certainly no newcomer. The second dog uh, in that cast, or, or excuse me, the second dog to go into the final cast is the Goose Dog, Thunderbirds why, uh, Black Goose, Thunderbirds Black Goose, owned by Cole McVeigh, handled by Joe Manning Jr. And uh, he's going to be the second dog in that cast. And the... Uh, Third dog in the final cast is the Marvelous Marv dog. It's owned by Ike Rainey here in Florida, handled by Dustin Weed. Now, Dustin's certainly no newcomer to PKC Hunts. His lifetime earnings, get this, folks, $620,000 and change. So at any rate, um, 
they have uh, announced that the uh, those three dogs, Jack, Goose, and Marv, all three uh, tree and walker males, all uh, have been taken to the woods. Uh, they've actually been uh, released at, uh, they say here, so we're running a little behind, uh, at 12.36 a.m., that central time, that would have been 1.36 a.m. for me here. And uh, they have posted a play-by-play of this activity uh, out there uh, for everybody to see on the PKC website. Um, and, you know, as I look at this play-by-play, and I've been following it along here a little bit and trying to simulate this, uh, this world hunt as I am, I see uh, that uh, there's a lot of coon in that part of Illinois. And uh, I think there was, uh, as we will see here as this play-by-play unfolds, there's, there'll be a lot of coons treat on this final cast. Um, here's kind of the way the action went. Uh, the Marv dog struck first. For a hundred, then Goose struck uh, left-handed a him for seventy-five, and then uh, right away Joe Manning trees Goose for a hundred. Uh, Jack the Jack dog got struck with a uh, for fifty points with a line under it, meaning that uh, the Goose dog was already treed before he was struck. So those points uh, with a line mean if if he finishes that with a tree of its own, then he'll get those points. If he doesn't, uh, then those points will be deleted if he winds up on the same tree with Goose. Uh, the cast uh, got to Goose's tree. He was handled. They started the shining time, and they found the coon real quickly. So that put the Goose dog at 175+. plus. They get the dog off the tree. They walk a minute, uh, and then, boom, the jack dog gets treed for 100 right-handed of the cast. Uh, so that means that his 50 strike points with the line under it now go live. In other words, he's eligible to get those points. Uh, the goose dogs recast. They're heading to the jack dog. Uh, and uh-oh, Jack says, I wasn't quite sure there, boss. <laughs> you you put me on the card a little too quick. He took 100 minus for moving. Uh, so anyway, then the uh, goose dog is restruck for uh, for twenty five, uh, because these are all on these open strike is continuing there, and uh, uh, they have to put the stationary rule on Jack. Uh, I don't know if it was the same tree uh, where he was minus or not, but man, that puts a lot of pressure on a dog. Or on a handler, I mean. So anyway, he's retrieved for 100 in the same area. So that doesn't sound too good. The Marv dog then can be heard trailing right-handed to the cast. Uh, they go in and handle Jack. They start the uh, shining time, and lo and behold, he's got the raccoon. So he gets pl- plus 150. But you got to remember, he took 100 minus on a tree call, so that's making his score at this point 50 plus. So the cast is walking again, and uh, the Marv dog is treed for 100. And then Goose is treed on a separate tree for 100. So the cast is heading to Marv since he was treed first. And uh, the Jack dog, because these other dogs are treed, both treed before he can be released. He's leash locked. He's got to go along for the ride. Uh, they go in, they handle the Marv dog, and they plus him up. They find his coon. So now he's sitting with 200 plus. They head to Goose uh, with Jack and Marv on the leashes, leash locked. As you know now, that has been changed for the coming year. I'm not going to go into all the rule details at this point. But anyway, they handle Goose at his tree, and boy, you know, he's got the grease. Plus him up for 125. So then all the three of the dogs are walked together and recast. Now, uh, all the trees have been scored, so now we can recast the dogs again. 
And uh, at that point in the hunt, there were 52 minutes left to hunt. Jack had 50 plus, Goose had 300 plus, and Marv had 200 plus. Well, once the dogs are released, the goose dog opens up and gets struck for 100, and they can tell that he's looking up. He's, he's treeing, but uh, uh, Joe hasn't been uh, convinced yet, so they put the stationary rule on him. And that stationary rule means that they start a five-minute clock on the dog, and uh, before that clock expires, he's going to need to tree that dog uh, or be minus. Now, uh, it, the two-minute rule on the tree can break that five minutes or another dog getting treed in the area, general area of that tree will break at that tree or in the general area of the tree will break uh, the stationary. But anyway, with the stationary working, Joe uh, Manning trees goose for 100. Uh, they go in there. They handle him. Looky here. He's got those eyes again. Give him another 200-plus. That's running his score up to 500-plus now. Uh, the jack dog strikes him for 75 and Marv for 50. Uh, they start running a stationary on Jack, and uh, he's treed for 100. Uh, then they restrike the goose dog for a quarter with the line under it. Remember, he's gotten struck here after the jack dog was tree. When they get in there, Jack and Goose are both handled at Jack's tree. So we're going to delete uh, Goose's 25 strike, and uh, they start the shining time. They plus up Jack for 125, and at this point in the cast, there's been six coon scored on this cast. <laughs> PKC has picked the right place to have a world hunt. They got plenty of coon there, and they got places to take the dogs hunting. So anyway, uh, they walk Jack his minute, and they recast him. At that point, Goose is restuck, restruck for 25 and treed for 100, and they head toward that tree. They handle Goose and they start looking the tree over. Guess what? Goose has got those eyes again. With that tree right there, the goose dog with 625 plus. What a great score. Now, keep in mind that this is a one-year-old dog. Uh, he'll actually be two in about three weeks after this world hunt. Has won the PKC World Championship for 2021 we want to send congratulations out to joe manning jr for doing such a great job with this uh this pup uh handling in the world hunt there's been a lot of good dogs over 1500 entries this week and uh his 11,762 total just jumped by thirty thousand dollars and uh Joe himself has won 62000 in PKC. So Thunderbirds Black Goose, owned by Cole McVeigh and handled by Joe Manning Jr., is a 2021 PKC World Champion. And, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the Marv dog ended up second place and uh, for the uh, $17,000 prize, and the Jack dog was third. For twelve thousand, uh, that was a wrap on the PKC World Hunt. I stayed up for it all. I tried to share it with you as it was taking place. I know the time restraints here of a podcast. I couldn't draw it out through the entire uh, minutes and hours of the contest, but uh, it's been a it's been a, uh, a great year for PKC, obviously, bouncing back from the COVID thing. It shows that fellows like to hunt in this organization, and I do want to uh, congratulate um, Roger Dale Carnegie on his fine organization. I want to congratulate Jerry Maul on his retirement from PKC. Jerry and I worked together at AKC. We've been longtime friends. He's uh, 
I hope that he enjoys his retirement as much as I am. Now, uh, I'm going to bring this uh, podcast to a close. Uh, As I say, I'm going to take a few days off and drive through the mountains. And if I see one of you, I'll certainly stop. That uh, dog box in the back of the truck is always a sign that there's a coon hunter around, or usually is. But uh, in closing, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank DU Supply for affording me this opportunity to have these podcasts so that uh, uh, we can get together once a week. If you need anything in the way of dog supplies, especially electronics to keep track of those hounds, whether you're hunting coons, bears, big cats, bobcats, rabbits, squirrels, whatever, they've got the equipment for you, dusupply.com. Thanks, buddy. And uh, with that, if somebody asks you where's Fielder, you just tell them he's gone to the dog.